United Church of Christ presents Daring to Say Yes, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, December 24th, 2023. Well, this year, as we all know, our Advent, our time to focus on peace and love and joy and hope, has taken place against the backdrop of news in the world that is full of darkness and an undercurrent of dread and anger. It's not, of course, the first advent in which the world has been in this state. But this darkness is not the generative darkness of the seed in the earth, but the menacing darkness of hidden dangers. It's not unique in world history. But this year, I keep seeing allusions to the Christmas truce of 1914. I'm wondering if anybody else has seen that come up in your social media feeds It comes up a little bit every year, but this year, it seems to me that it's been everywhere. History Hit has a new documentary out, and people keep posting about it. It caught my attention, so I did a little reading. I know many of you have heard the story before, the story that starts in the horrifying trench warfare of the First World War. Three or four months into the war, the German side had advanced deep into French territory and they were dug in all along a line that went from the English Channel to the Swiss border. And across from them, sometimes as little as a hundred feet away, were the allied forces of the French and the British and the Scottish and the Irish. Also dug in, also both sides fighting from trenches in appalling conditions. 440 miles of trenches with barbed wire and machine gun positions and heavy artillery made up this Western front of the Great War. And for years, they battled back and forth over almost no land. Between the opposing trenches was no man's land, which was littered with the bodies of those who had been killed. And the story goes that as Christmas approached, Pope Benedict XV appealed to the leaders, the German and the British leaders in particular, and asked them to call a Christmas truce, to halt the killing on the most holy day when the birth of Christ is celebrated. And perhaps they could use that pause to create a permanent ceasefire. And then both leaders refused and warned their troops and the leaders against any overtures toward the other side, against any slackening in their diligence in following orders. How nevertheless, the infantrymen on both sides, when they received packages with chocolates and cigarettes from home, lobbed some of those gifts across the expanse to the soldiers on the other side. Imagine you're living in a trench filled with cold water and rats, and you get a gift from home, something that up until that point had been pretty scarce, And instead of hoarding it, you lob it across no man's land to your enemy, not a figurative enemy, an actual enemy who hours before you had been trying to kill because he was trying to kill you because you were trying to kill him, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of hoarding that gift for later, you gave it. I have trouble imagining it. That's what started it. 
And then Christmas trees appeared on the edges of the German trenches, all lit up. And then there was a silence that fell. And then into that silence, singing began. First on one side, as the Germans sang Stille Nacht. Then on the other, as the English responded with the first Noel. And then the first brave German soldier climbed up out of his trench, silhouetted against the sky and walked solitary and exposed against the snowy ground under the starlit sky in great danger, straight into no man's land. And then one brave soldier from the allied side did the same. And then suddenly dozens and dozens of them climbed up out of their trenches and moved toward each other. And then there was warmth and camaraderie and sharing of gifts under that starlit sky. And then they played games together and sang songs together. For a few hours, they created a ceasefire, but more than a pause, they filled it up with goodness. Years later, Albert Morin of the 2nd Queen's Regiment remembered, it was a beautiful moonlit night, frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. First, there was a lot of commotion in the German trenches, and then many lights, and then they sang Silent Night. I shall never forget it. It was one of the highlights of my life. It is a beautiful and a moving story that we still remember 100 years later. But every single time I hear it, I wonder, what happened next? How long was the shooting paused? What did it mean to those young soldiers that had been sent there with only the vaguest idea of what the war was about? That stupidest of all wars. What did it mean to them later when they had to go back to trying to kill those people they had just been celebrating with? People whose voices they had so recently sung with, with whom they played football on that field. This moment in time when a vision of peace and goodness caught hold for a few men and they gave each other courage to dare to come forward towards each other. It was never repeated during that long, brutal war. There were occasional brief pauses when each side was allowed to go out and gather their dead to bring them back to bury them, but never again did soldiers step toward each other across no man's land with singing and gifts and play to create a, create a space of genuine warmth and common humanity. The commanding officers on both sides saw to it with their immediate prohibitions against leaving the trenches during the daylight hours. And the addition of mustard gas and other increasing horrors of the war made this kind of reaching out less and less likely. And for a while, people began to doubt that the Christmas truce ever happened. Um, the the um, commanders didn't want it to have happened. They didn't want that to be a possibility. As one historian described it, the Christmas truce was a blip. It conflicted with the patriotic aggression required by both sides. Now we are here over a hundred years later and a new Pope is asking new leaders to call a halt to insane aggression perhaps with the hope that if there is a pause, it will offer a glimpse that is enough to make peace break out and bloom into a sturdy and lasting justice. 
Again, both sides have declined. Though the preponderance of money and weapons on one side in the, in the war in Gaza makes it difficult to speak as if the two sides are equally capable of calling a halt. There was a humanitarian pause back in November, which might have blossomed into peace, but didn't. Like the Christmas truce, it came and went with no slowing of the insane aggression it so briefly interrupted. And still, the soldiers who sang carols into the darkness and lobbed gifts at each other to embolden the first to step into no man's land and his step emboldened the others. It really happened. And a hundred years later, their story still has power to move and inspire us and make us hold fast to a vision of peace and human possibility. In November, the Israeli government really did pause its bombardment. Hamas really released hostages and Israel really released prisoners. Aid workers moved into an area of deep desolation to bring water and food and medicine. It did happen. Neither thing was enough, but both were real and both can offer us a vision of what more is possible, a vision of what to hold on to. Peace requires courage, the courage to let go of vengeance and gain. The words of Mary offer us a vision of what that might look like. Steve Garnas Holmes wrote about this so beautifully last week. I wanna to quote to you from his writing at some length. He wrote, in Mary's song, not only does God lift up the lowly, but also brings down the powerful. This isn't a wish for the poor to be on top instead of the rich. Although there have been many revolutions in which we have seen the formerly powerless become ruthless despots. But this is not that. This is not a zero sum vision in which there's only so much wealth or power to go around. Mary's song is a critique of all hierarchies, all power structures, and all systems of privilege and exclusion. It's not that the levels of the political or economic ladder are reversed, they're abolished. There is no ladder. God brings everyone to the same level. Jesus, Mary's son, preaches the same radical concept, not a ladder of sta status or a pyramid of power, but a circle in which the last is first and the first is last. Everyone is both, because in a circle, you are always both first and last. It feels like a zero-sum game to the folks who have to be brought down to make the circle work. To the privileged, justice always feels unfair. This is the hard edge of the gospel. We want to hang on to whatever privilege we have. Time after time, with Pharisee and tax collector in prayer, with prostitutes entering heaven before the rabbis, with laborers all paid a full day's wage, Jesus keeps hammering it home. There is no privilege with God, no superiority, no better than, no such thing as good enough or not good enough, no such thing as deserving at all, only God's grace. This is the mercy and justice that Mary sings about.
close quote. Mary gets to her miraculous motherhood and her revolutionary song by first saying yes to the announcement of the angel. In the story, God's messenger appears and announces that God's love will be born in her. The messenger makes promises about the coming child's identity and authority and answers her questions, which I just love, the audacity of asking questions of an angelic messenger. But it is not until the messenger announces that Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, old and long barren, is also expecting that Mary says, yes, let it be to me according to your word. The very next thing she does is to go visit Elizabeth to bless her and to be blessed by her. And there, in the safety and power of their comradeship, she spoke her vision of what the love to be born in her might bring, a world made whole and equal. The invitation of this fourth Sunday of Advent is to imagine that God's message to Mary is also God's message to you. Steve Garnas Holmes put it this way, imagine God's message to you, God's prayer, that God favors you, that you have the power to conceive love in this world, not by your own accomplishment, how can this be, but by God's grace, for the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The love you conceive will be great and will last forever. And if you don't believe this, look around at others who no one thought could bear love into the world and see nothing is impossible with God. Maybe the best part of the story, the real part that we should be obsessed with, is Mary's response. Here I am, willing to serve God. May it be to me according to your word. The invitation this fourth Sunday of Advent is to ask ourselves, do I dare to say that to God? Do I dare to say yes and believe God's promise that I too can bring love into the world? As we pause and wonder, can I say yes? Do I dare? I encourage us also to think about who is the Elizabeth in my life? Whose comradeship will allow me to say yes to God's love? What heroes do I see? What bravery can I emulate? Who do I see taking a first step into no man's land? Whose courage can I allow to embolden my courage? Whose voice and blessing and example do you need to enable you to take your part in making God's love arrive? and God's peace break out. This Advent and Christmas and New Year, I invite us to pause and name those people, to seek them out, and also to remember that each one of us is that comrade for someone else. Each one of us is the person who can take the bold first step that emboldens someone else. We are both Mary and Elizabeth. We need one another. We need one another's courage. And we need to look to the heroes who are willing to take a first step into no man's land, to work, to bring God's love alive in the world over and over again.
because God is working in us. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.